Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of our second season of What the Family Studies podcast by Off Sheehan. I'm your co-host, Laura Hattier. And I'm your co-host, Catherine Murphy. We're all excited to be back with this podcast and very happy to introduce our guest tonight, Justin Bukazar. Justin is a secondary family studies teacher who identifies with the 2S LGBTQIA community. He makes great attempts to update his knowledge and understanding of the ever-changing and evolving queer community and to ensure his lessons move beyond acceptance and into the understanding of identity intersectionalities within the classroom. So before we begin to speak with Justin, let's go over our learning goals as per usual. So number one, we wanna to get to know Justin and his family studies involvement. We wanna understand how previous experiences such as theater have impacted Justin's teaching, especially in family studies. We also wanna learn how Justin supports the queer community and keeps up to date. We wanna learn how we can also support the queer community. And we wanna learn about some of maybe the challenges and barriers for teachers and schools in this area. Thank you, Justin, for joining us. Can you begin by telling us a little bit more about your pathway to becoming a family studies teacher? Well, uh, thank you both for having me, first of all. (laughs) To becoming a family studies teacher, it sort of happened on accident. It started off as one of my first occasional jobs that ended up going into my first LTO. It was a family studies teacher, and she had to to take off time because she had a concussion. And so I was asked to come in just for a week to fill in for the time being. And then a week came to two. And then they said, well, do you want to stick around for the rest of the year? And I said, okay. And because I had worked in the restaurant industry, they were okay with me teaching food nutrition and working with food labs. And then I loved it so much that I ended up taking my family studies part one at Western. I just this past summer did my family studies part two at Western and I've been teaching family studies ever since. It's always nice when it's kind of, it happens by fluke, like the opportunity just shows up and that's why it's important to take a leap of faith sometimes because sometimes you end up doing something that you'd never imagine yourself doing and you end up loving it. So did you find that you loved it like right away or did it kind of have to grow on you? No, I loved it right away. I mean, my teachables are drama and social sciences. So really and truly, family studies incorporates a lot of aspects from both. Yeah. So yeah, the background in theater, I want to hear more about that. Can you tell us a bit more about that experience and how you feel maybe it's impacted or shaped your teaching in family studies? You mean besides being able to project my voice over a classroom of chatty teenagers working through a kitchen? (laughs) I'm still learning that one. (laughs) It's all diaphragm work. I found that there are some overlap with my degree. I mean, I have a BA in specialized honors device theater from York University. There I learned costume design and some basic hand sewing skills as well, which came in handy when I had to teach HIF. (laughs) I also have experience as a set designer, which came in handy when I was teaching HLS. So as part of the course curriculum, I had them redesign a school cafeteria. So we actually had to go and then they had to measure and they had to create a rough plan. And then I was able to actually get from the custodian, the original blueprints from the school. So they were able to use that as a template as well to create their plans for their designs and help out with their measurements. And then they had to like literally price out materials and create a design board as well as some sort of either 3D rendering or three-dimensional model. 
So as a set designer, I've had experience making digital renderings and making models out of foam core. So I was able to help out that way with my students and provide options for them to create their design projects. And at the end, we did a, you know, like a career fair type thing, like half the class set up booths and then the other half sort of went around and had a critique one other person's designs. And then we had this uh, vice principal come around and look at the designs as well. So they actually had to pitch to the vice principal. Wow. That's very fun. That wasn't your first LTO in family studies, was it? Yeah, it was. My goodness, <laughs> we're ambitious. I, my first LTO was housing and I was so overwhelmed. Yeah. Like literally that was my first month into full-time teaching. Crazy. Did you have like a decent budget to do that? I had no budget. <laughs> we just had materials that uh, were already available. And, you know, I, I, again, as a set and costume designer, I know that, you know, Fabricland, certain carpeting and flooring companies will provide samples for yeah. people. So typically, I was like, oh, try this store, try this one, try this. And then they would grab their materials and use that. Or I also had a bunch of materials from, I guess, previous classes I've used before. So there was a bunch of leftovers. Some kids were remodeling. I guess their parents were remodeling their their house. So they had a bunch of scraps. Very cool. Okay. So we know that you obviously update your knowledge, understanding like the ever-changing queer community. But can you tell us a little bit more about how you do this and maybe how we can do this? Sure. Typically, I mean, as part of the queer community, I like to stay informed. I like to be involved in my community. So watching a lot of queer content certainly does help because you'll hear a lot of new voices and old voices as well. So depending on what materials you're watching. So like watching some of the old films to understand where queer culture was and watching some of the new stuff can help you understand where queer culture is now. There's a lot of documentaries, interviews with influential queer leaders. My school offers a lot of PDs as well. So trying to attend the PDs as much as possible. Typically, yeah. And just sometimes out of curiosity, I Google things. If I'm not sure if I heard something new, I had a student let me know that he was finsexual and I had to figure out what finsexual was. So I did a little quick Google search and was like, oh, all right. It's someone who is attracted to femininity regardless of gender expression. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time Googling things in all areas of education because I'm learning something every single day. <laughs> it really is like lifelong learning. Absolutely. And sometimes we just have to step out of our comfort zones and, and do something that we're not familiar with. That's a, just a part of being a teacher, right? I mean, sure we teach, but we also learn and learning something new every day. So that, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So Justin, I mean, it sounds like you're doing awesome work in your classroom and, and helping students feel safe and included, and especially when they can can come to you and tell you, you know, what what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. So for someone who's new to this work, who's just beginning to learn about including two SLGBTQIAP plus identities and experiences in their classroom. So, I mean, you, you talked about, about Googling, but is there anything else that you know, we can do, it's really big, important work. So how can teachers new to this, how can they get started with it? Honestly, a lot of the times it's just small stuff, starting with small changes that can make huge impacts later on, like changing lessons and course materials. I know that we all tend as teachers, why reinvent the wheel? So we share materials with each other. And some of these materials might be a little outdated in the way it's worded. 
So making sure that we're using up-to-date language. So for example, instead of, you know, in word problems or in, in slideshows when it says he, she, or he or she, or, you know, just changing simply the words to they or more gender neutral pronouns to dispel this idea of only two genders. Incorporating same-sex couples and non-binary folks into word problems with our assignments. Representation matters. The smallest, simplest things to move ourselves forward, right? A lot of the times, especially for older folks who a lot of this is new and scary and they have to unlearn what they believe to be true for so long only to realize, oh, no, wait, this is an ever-growing and changing society and our ideas and identities are growing and ever-changing as well, right? So we have to sort of approach it at that stage. So what might be true last year might not be true this year. I mean, only a couple of years ago, there was the movement from moving away from asking students what their preferred pronouns were and just asking, what pronouns do you use? Because there are negative connotations to the word preferred. I mean, when I was a student, people would ask you, what was your sexual preference? Now we understand sexual preference, again, has the negative connotations of choice, that sexuality is a choice. So using sexual orientation or identity as opposed to preference. So we just have to unlearn some things that we, even though we think is super progressive, realizing, oh, wait, our language evolves, the language changes, there's more colloquialisms and, and concepts emerging every day. So we have to constantly be cognizant of the idea of having to change and adapt. I think that's some really good advice for me personally. I've been teaching, you know, a long time. And I do know that it is, you know, like you said, unlearning some things that, you know, I grew up with that when I started teaching were okay and they're just not okay anymore. So that unlearning, I think, is a, is a big part of it too for me personally. But for new teachers coming in, I think I learn a lot from them. The younger crowd, so to speak. Oh my gosh, it makes me sound so old when I say it like that. But what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that were barriers to the work for you? Well, for teachers and for schools. A large barrier is a lack of representation within schools, especially in smaller rural areas. I work and live in a smaller town. I mean, it's, it's one of the fastest developing areas in Ontario. However, there are still a lot of, and I grew up in this town, and there's still a lot of small-minded and narrow views on life. And it's, it's hard to find the positive voices sometimes, the supporting voices in a community like that. And so having more representation in a school I think would be incredibly important. I think I'm one of two queer teachers in my entire high school, which is more than that there has been in the past, but I think representation matters. Yeah, I, I think for sure it's important for, for everybody, right? To see like-minded people and just people, people that look like you, people that act like you. For the, our students, this is really important. Now, Afshia, they created a, a curriculum advisory resource last year called Including 2SLGBTQIAP Plus Identities and Experiences. So just wondering if you've used the document and if you found it helpful at all? Yeah, I mean, I haven't thoroughly gone into it too, too much. I only learned about it this summer, but I'm slowly incorporating some of the lesson prompts, which is great. So I'm teaching HPC right now, Raising Healthy Children. Mm -hmm. And we're actually currently talking about the ideas of conception, pregnancy, and birth. So I avoid using the words woman or mother or, you know, the pregnant woman will do this or the woman, you know, so I'm trying to avoid gendering the experience of birth because it's not just women who give birth 
right? All genders can give birth depending on what biological sex they were born with, regardless of what gender they were assigned to at birth. I don't want to color the experiences my students might have simply based on their identities. Just because someone who was assigned female at birth identifies as male does not mean that they cannot be someone who gives birth, who can gestate, who can lactate, who can feed a baby, right? So we don't want to isolate these folks who might want to experience these experiences or might not. And that's generally okay as well. But they might want to experience these experiences, but might feel as though society might not accept it or that it's not meant for them simply because the language that we use blocks them from doing so. Mm-hmm. And that's a course that I'm, I'm currently teaching as well too. And I've taught it many, many times, but struggle with the language as well. Because, you know, when I first started teaching it 20 years ago, we talked about having a mom and a dad and, you know, the woman got pregnant and, and now, you know, just really trying to open it up to our students and understanding that not every student has the same experience. Everyone has different experiences, different choices, different challenges. Absolutely. Um, we have to acknowledge too that there are going to be asexual students in our, in sure. our class. I have an ace student. So when we were talking about contraceptives, she pulled me aside and said, these really don't apply to me. And I say, well, I, I totally get that. But I also made sure to address that this knowledge is not just good for you, but it's also good for friends and family mm-hmm. who might hear this information. So it may not apply to you directly, but it's something that you can use a knowledge you can use in the future to help friends out who might have misconceptions of what an internal condom is or what an external condom is or where they can go and find sexual health. So a lot of my students already at the third floor of the Oshawa Center, that's where the sexual health clinic is. Like they know because we want and talk about this and now they know they can go and get internal and external condoms there. They can get birth control. They can get uh, tested for STIs, which they should be doing every three to six months if they're sexually active, even with a committed partner. So they know these things now, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation. It's something that's applicable to all. I mean, when I was a student, sex ed did not apply to me whatsoever. It was completely useless. There was literally nothing they taught that applied to me except for how my genitals worked. I think you're right, though, too, where students will talk to each other right? Sometimes before they'll talk to an adult, a teacher, a parent, whatever. And so if you have that knowledge as a, as a student, you can maybe help your friend direct them in the right direction. Absolutely. So teaching family studies, I, I mean, I think on this podcast and anyone who listens to this podcast obviously is very interested in teaching family studies. What's your favorite part about teaching family studies? And, and do you have a favorite course and, and why? Uh, my favorite part about family studies, I love how diverse all the courses are and how many there are. I love the idea of having options, teaching Mm -hmm. within one department, which is phenomenal. And (laughs) I guess a little bit on the uh, selfish side of things, it certainly helped me get into my foot in the door into being a permanent contract teacher because not very many folks, at least in my board, are certified in family studies. So they're always desperate looking for teachers who are qualified. So that was one thing that really piqued my interest at first, but the course materials itself 
is so much more fun and exciting to talk about than, you know, having to teach history. No offense to those who love history. But, <laughs> but you know, like teaching HHS, like families in Canada, although it has historical elements, again, my background is in social sciences. So the anthropological, the psychological, the sociological aspects of families and development is really interesting to me. It's that kind of stuff is a lot of fun. But with that even being said, one of my favorite courses to teach is HIP, it's that personal life management, or as I like to call it, adulting 101. It's literally just everything. It's like, it's, it's career studies on steroids. I always love it when people say, oh, they don't teach those things, those practical things in school to these kids anymore. And I always say, you know, yes, we do. <laughs> yep. They just don't take it. And I yeah. think it should be one of those mandatory grade 12 courses. And I actually had students tell me that, that it should be mandatory. I'm actually in our last unit, we're going to be talking about, I'm going to teach them how to create their own signatures. Because a lot of them don't even know cursive. So they, they can sign a cover letter. <laughs> right. Those little skills that they need, right? All right, Justin, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I think it's absolutely fascinating because I think, you know, like all of us here, we do love teaching family studies. But now we're going to take it to our rapid fire questions. And I don't know, these are personally my favorite part of the show, but Laura's going to take over and she's going to ask you some of our rapid fire questions. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Justin, so much. I really enjoyed listening and conversing with you. I really like what you said about, you know, teaching about contraceptives to students who feel like it's not necessarily going to directly impact them. And I think it, it's really a good point that you made, like how it's so important to explicitly explain to students why what you're teaching is applicable to them, but but not just to them, but the people around them and why it's important for them to learn it regardless. Because we live in a world where we're so focused on ourselves all the time. And so there's things where we we don't bother reading into things that don't apply to us, right? So I think it's really important that you brought that up because that is such a good point to make to students because there are so many times where students are like, why are we learning this? Why are we learning this? This doesn't apply to me. I don't like this. And it's true. Like there, there's always a reason why we're learning it. So thank you for bringing up that point and thanks for the conversation. But let's get into our rapid fire questions. So what was your first job ever? And please don't say paper route. I want to hear something else. I guess technically the first job would be my dad put me to work in his warehouse, putting together product, packing them in boxes. So one that's not family related, I worked at the Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. Where did you go on your last vacation? Gosh, uh, my last vacation was 2011. And I went to Turkey to visit family. Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah, who can afford to go on vacation nowadays? <laughs> to be honest, I can't either. And I honestly hate being on an airplane. So I'm the worst. But I do want to travel. I like travel through Pinterest. And then I'm like, I want to go here. And then I never actually make it happen. Well, up until COVID, I was working five part-time jobs on top of being a full-time teacher. So I oh. really didn't have time. And then COVID hit. So it's like, wow, what do I do? Wow, five jobs on top of teaching. I'm like trying to keep my head above water. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite dessert? Anything with chocolate. <laughs> I mean, really anything sweet. I love, I'm a sweet tooth. Okay, me too. Well, I like both. I like sweet and savory, but definitely sweet tooth. Do you have any pets? Not directly, no, but I occasionally take care of my mom's three dogs. Ah, uh, are they big dogs? 
They are small dogs, a Pomeranian Shih Tzu, a Bichon Shih Tzu, and a, an American Cocker Spaniel. Very cute. Aww. Okay, and what is your go-to karaoke song? Great Big Seas. Oh, what is it? Uh, I am fountain of affection. I'm the instrument <laughs> of joy. Why can't I think? When I'm up. There we go. <laughs> Love it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I've learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for breaking into song for us too. That's, that's, I don't think, I think that might be a first on our show. So we appreciate that. It was great too. I mean, again, theater major. <laughs> but thank you. Because I like it in my head to remember the name of the song. It is a tough one. I can never remember the names of songs either. I, I can sing them, but I can't remember them. So thanks, Justin, so much for joining us. It was really great hearing your, your perspective and, and learning a little bit from you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this, our second episode of season two of the What the Family Studies podcast. Tune into our next episode to be released sometime in December. Remember to subscribe to be notified when we release new episode. Thanks for listening. What the Family Studies is brought to you by the Ontario Family Studies Home Economics Educators Association. Special thanks to our producer, Michelin Gallant, tech support and podcast editor, Cassandra McEachern, and our co-hosts, Catherine Murphy and Laura Hattier.